Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Kia ora and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ National. Call Alison Balance, Tene. In this special web-only interview, I'm talking with geneticist Bruce Robertson from the University of Otago about a new scientific paper called European Colonisation, Not Polynesian Arrival, Impacted Population Size and Genetic Diversity in the Critically Endangered New Zealand Kākāpō. The paper is to deal with a study where we were looking at the past history of Kākāpō, so using museum specimens skins that have been collected by people from um, New Zealand, obviously, but they're in museums from around the world. And so what we were interested in looking at is how many kakapo there were in the past, how they were distributed, and what we basically found, at least for the South Island, because there are no museum skins available from the North Island, there's only one, um, and that came from a taxidermist in Wellington, so it's hard to know where it came from. But for uh, the 55 or so um, skins that we've looked at, um, we basically found that, looking at the number of kākāpō, that there was quite a decline that it was associated with um, the colonisation of New Zealand by Europeans. So there's the two potential time periods in which you can have major impacts, is the Polynesian and also the European settlement of New Zealand. What we found was there was quite a decline, or a rapid decline, associated not long after Europeans colonised New Zealand. So kākāpō today are quite rare. There's 155 of them. But we know from sub-fossil evidence that they were widespread through both the North and the South Islands? Yes, that's right. They were common in both islands. Um, it's important to note that this study is only looking at the South Island because, as I said, there's no... The material that we use, museum skins, there were none collected from the North Island, or none, at least in existence, that we know of. There is a lot of sub-fossil material um, from the North Island, and there's also a, a, a reasonable amount from the South Island, at least the northwest Nelson area. Um, we tend to get most of the fossil remains. And so, I mean, we've only looked at the museum specimens um, and the next sort of plan, I guess, sort of jumping ahead, is to, to look at the, um, the sub-fossil remains and try and figure out whether the North Island shows the same sort of historical pattern that we're seeing in the South Island. And it's important to note that the North Island may well be different because it had a different um, sort of settlement. It was earlier. There was also much more intense than the South Island. And we do know that the North Island um, kākāpō, they, they disappeared, according to the literature, somewhere around about the early 20th century. Um, and so, obviously, they persisted in the South Island um, up till today. So you've been looking at genetic diversity. We know that the kākāpō population today has very little genetic diversity. What did you find from the museum specimens? Basically, all of the, the birds the, in the museums around the world, they had a huge amount of genetic diversity, you know, a good degree of um, variation, which we simply don't have in our contemporary population. Now, one of the things that interested me in your paper was you said the number of mitochondrial DNA haplotypes went from 17 to 3. Can you tease that out for us, explain what those haplotypes are and just tell us a little more about that story? Yeah, so... It's mitochondrial DNA, so it's the DNA that's in the powerhouse of a cell. 
So every cell has a number of copies of mitochondria, which makes it a really good target for looking at ancient DNA because it's high copy number, you can amplify it in PCR um, very easily. And so what we found is these haplotypes, which are basically just genetic variants, so they differ amongst each other. So at this same little region of the control region we're looking at, um, basically we found that there were 17 different types or, or sequence, DNA sequences uh, at this particular location. And that was amongst all of the museum specimens. And we found that there are only three in the contemporary population, so at the mitochondrial um, haplotypes. So there's a huge amount of variation has been lost, and that's due to you know, the vast majority of the mainland population, all bar Richard Henry, um, all of his genes, you know, all of the other genes that were on the mainland of the South Island New Zealand have been lost from you know, populations have gone extinct. And so what we have now in that the island population, so all of the remainder of um, Kakapo have come from Stewart Island, the southern sort of area around Port Pegasus on Stewart Island, um, it's all largely those birds are just island birds. And we do know also that uh, individuals on islands tend to have lower levels of genetic diversity than on much larger landforms, so like continents. And so we're seeing a similar sort of effect. So there's an island effect here where the, the birds off Stewart Island basically are a subset of what used to exist, but um, we've lost a huge amount of genetic diversity. You've got a very clear picture of what's happened in the last 150 years. Yes. And you're, you think that's probably due largely to things like introduced mammals such as stoats? Yeah, so the, the timing that we're looking at, it suggests that um, the major decline that we're seeing in population numbers is timing sort of later in European colonisation. So stoats were introduced in the 1880s in response to rabbit numbers in Otago um, becoming a major problem. And so people knew that that would become an issue, and I think many people like Buller and others... Um, argued against releasing it and then not long after we did see a lot of a decline in the birds um, throughout New Zealand. You know, it sort of fits very nicely that we've seen this major loss of genetic diversity and numbers, the population has crashed, it's gone through a bottleneck and it's largely timed with this release of these mammalian predators into the habitat. And we do know that things like stoats, I mean kakapo just can't coexist with stoats as many other species like saddleback we know um, from sadly the Orokinui experience down here. Yeah, it's that same sort of thing that these mammalian predators do have a profound impact on bird populations. And in particular for kakapo, like most of New Zealand birds have evolved without these predators and their, their responses when exposed to a predator weren't the most appropriate. I mean, you don't, they freeze or used to freeze basically when they are startled um, and that's not really what you want to do when you're exposed to a predator that has a keen sense of smell, good vision and is an aggressive hunter. Um, and so it, it does largely time with um, you know, the Europeans' release of these particular predators. Now, if we go back 750 or so years to when Polynesians yes. settled New Zealand, we know that their hunting had a profound impact on species like moa yeah. and a number of other bird species. How can your genetic data shed light on, on whether or not there was a significant impact on kākāpō as well? We don't see a bottleneck, basically, at the time of um, Polynesian arrival or soon after. Um, but it's important to note with the data that we've got, it's not the best test of that. Um, there's two things there. One is that because we've seen such a major decline in you know, sort of the European period, it could be that that is masking any effect that we're seeing in that time period. And so the much, much better test and something that's happening at the moment, we're you know, getting, um, starting to work with subfossil bones, is that we will actually look at those. So it is at, and, and 
prior to Polynesians arriving. So we will actually be able to quantify, you know, what sort of level of impact was happening. We know that there are impacts on these birds, we, on those bird species, mower, etc. We also know that Polynesians brought their own suite of um, mammalian predators, um, Polynesian dog curry and um, kiori, the Polynesian rat. Um, so what sort of impacts they have on kakapo? We do know that they, they're not good around kakapo because um, kakapo were put on offshore islands where there were kiori. For instance, codfish had kiori for uh, quite a while. Um, and they had to manage the breeding so that the, the rats basically wouldn't eat the eggs. Um, and so that was not killing adults, as stoats perhaps are doing, so much more dramatic declines in the population, but definitely suppressing reproductive output. Um, and similarly, we don't know what sort of um, subsistence hunting um, impacts from uh, Polynesians were you know, at early arrival, but there may well be impacts and that may well be why the demographic history I guess of the North Island and the South Island are different you know that's why the population in the North Island has gone extinct a lot sooner than you know the South Island's persisted. What are the implications for managing the current population then are there any that you can take from this paper? Yeah there's a couple so it's it's always a problem as a, a conservation manager if you don't know how much genetic diversity you had in in the past I mean, if you could be worrying about a species that, you know, it's got low sort of levels of genetic diversity, but it might have historically had low levels, and that's sort of the norm. So what our study does is it shows that, you know, as you might expect when you lose a large amount of the population, you have lost a lot of genetic diversity. It also shows that there is perhaps an island effect here where, because most of the remaining birds have come from Stewart Island, and we know that islands tend to have lower levels of genetic diversity, that puts a lot of the... The, the genetic diversity we're seeing now into, into very clear perspective. The other thing our study does is it highlights the sort of number of kakapo that existed. So we've got a, a best estimate of how many there were on the, the South Island of New Zealand. And that's extremely important for when you're, you're planning to in, you know, increase populations in size because it's important to know that they used to be very common or perhaps they were very rare. Um, but we know from this that um, on the South Island, based on the level of genetic diversity in these museum skins, there would have been something around uh, half a million to a million kakapo on the South Island. And that at least gives us a sort of ballpark figure to, to see, you know, how many would we have in the, in the past, I guess. Um, and that's very useful because it's, you know, it'll give us an idea of how many kakapo there can be if we ever you know, get the sort of predator-free New Zealand process going and then start reintroducing kakapo into these predator-free environments, you know, like, say, if Fiordland became predator-free, be an ideal habitat. Now, speaking of kakapo genetic diversity, earlier this year we reported on the kakapo 125 genome project, this attempt to sequence the genome of every living kakapo. Can you update me with how that's going? Yeah, it's going really well. So we've um, done the first 40, uh, so we've done all the sequencing of the first 40, and we've got the data back, and we're starting to to align that to Jane's genome. So you may remember that um, Pacific Bio um, produced uh, really what we referred to as a platinum quality genome, and that's Jane's genome, Kakapo Jane. And that's super high quality, long reads, and it allows us to use that as a scaffold, which we can then align all of the other Kakapo, which we've um, basically sequenced in much shorter reads. We can sort of match it up like a puzzle and so we're at the process with the first 40 where we're starting to uh, assemble those genomes. So once we've got them all assembled, then we can start the exciting stuff for the analysis. And then the next step, which we're currently about to do, so the DNA is all ready to go, we're going to send off the next 40. So we 
in a very short period of time we'll have the first 80 Kakapo genomes completely done. You know, we're aiming to have all of the genome sequencing finished by um, mid-2017, so that will be fantastic. And then not long after that we'll have all the genomes aligned and then not long after that we'll you know, start analysing the data, which will be perfect timing for the next Kakapo breeding season. That was Bruce Robertson from the University of Otago. If you'd like to find out more, check out our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.